Welcome to the Lego Football Podcast. You're with David Trini, your Lego host. It's good to be back. It's been a while, I know. I apologize for that, but today I have made up for that with a special guest. His name is Dan Kantian. He's a football connoisseur of many different leagues, many different competitions, many flavors. Uh, he's from the Daily Mail as well. So it's good to have you, Dan. How have you been? Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Uh, it feels like I've got a lot to live up for the introduction. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to guest talking and talk some football today. Yeah, talking football is always good with you because I've done a fair bit of that in my life away from the microphone, especially with you. Known uh, Dan for, for quite a while. It's good to have him finally on the show. I've been trying to get him for uh, quite a while, basically since the beginning of the pod. So... We've got a few issues. I know that, well, Dan, for those of you who don't know, might not be able to pick his accent there. He actually was born in Italy and has spent most of his life in the UK. Dan, Group C, England too good. They're already through. Italy struggling. Strikers are required, in my opinion. And Gianluca Scamacca is the closest thing to the last Ducatoni. I don't know, the last Alberto Giladino, someone that can get in there, get big frame in there, try and get ahead to the ball can sort of unleash from the edge of the box. I don't know, England with Harry Kane, Jude Bellingham, they're looking good, but Italy struggling as defending champion. It could be embarrassing. They might not be there. Italy can't score goals, but they can't defend particularly well either. When you look at the table, they've scored 11 and conceded 7. England have scored 19 and conceded just 3. And, you know, defensive solidity is, has always been something that Italy have, you know, built their, their success upon. And I, I suppose part of it is generational. Um, you know, you, you have the likes of Chiellini, Bonucci, and you know, uh, and the likes of them retiring. Um, it just feels like it's a it's a, it's a perfect storm, isn't it? Because you've got some of the you know incredibly good defenders retiring, um, not really prolific strikes from. In fact, it, I don't think that has been as in the last 20, probably 30 years, I don't think you would have, you, uh, and, and you can pick another, another period of time where Italy were so short of actual strikers. And I know that traditional number nines have almost entirely gone out of fashion. But even so, it, it's hard to, to think of Serie A and think of, uh, of an Italian, you know, centre forward or, you know, your traditional target man, if you will. Yeah, they, they, they severely need one. I think Skamaka is the closest thing. I'm, I'm going to put out a piece on this, hopefully later today. We're recording this on Thursday, the 16th of November, for those of you who want to know. But um, Italy struggling to secure that spot at UEFA uh, 2024. Luciano Spalletti crying out for a goal-scoring saviour. Needs someone to deliver some goals because they've been getting them. Uh, look, like most Serie A teams try, they try and stretch opponents and have that inverted run-in from a Berardi or a Kvarat Scalia, or Lorenzo Insigne, for those of you who remember. Uh, even Federico Chiesa likes to do it at Juventus. Uh, and, you know, they've long reveled in those extraordinary achievements of their goal-scoring centravanti heroes of the past, like your Vieri's, Palorossi, Gigi Riva, Schilacci. Italy, four World Cups, a couple of Euros. They're usually so good. I, I looked at the stats this morning, and I think of the last 20 games, they've only won eight drawn five and lost seven. That's the last 20 competitive games. Uh, it's not good when you consider that they just come off getting the world record for most games undefeated. I think it was 37 under Roberto Mancini. 
So there's a big turnaround here for Spalletti and uh, well, to, he has to then turn around the turnaround. So incumbent Euro champions, they defeated England at Wembley. I was there to see it. Glorious night. Uh, the Azzurri sitting precariously now in third place of Group C, smack bang between upcoming opponents, North Macedonia and the Ukraine. Um, only the top two from each group go through. Italy do have a back door though because they made the United uh, UEFA Nations League, United Nations, UEFA Nations League uh, semi-finals, so they do have a playoff route to go through if they can't make it out of this group. So it's not all loss, but really, as defending champion in a group that does have England, and it feels as though England has taken the old Italian role of scoring lots of goals and conceding very few. And uh, you have to qualify in second place. They need four points, at least one win and a draw to be assured of going through. But it's as though, I did write on uh, Forbes with this, uh, Dan, sacrificing the striker for the greater good. I feel like they've done where they've they've given preference to the overall team. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because you can bring unpredictability to a team with coming forward, getting goals. Italy love that right back, left back, wing back kind of solution where they, uh, they maraud forward. We saw it in Euro 2000. Uh, we saw it again in, uh, with Zambrotta and Grosso in 2006 and to a degree uh, with Spinazzola and Di Lorenzo in 2021 and uh, you know it's all about how they want to get their goals there's no number 10 anymore that's been sacrificed and it's been sacrificed for quite a while I think Jude Bellingham might be the closest thing to a number 10 these days and it's Roberto Baggio Totti they're gone no more I don't think there's a player like them anymore uh, I actually wrote that if Maradona was around now, he would be a right winger, similar to Apolitano, where he'd have to stay out wide, hug the touchline, and then try and beat his man and come in and create havoc. And so it's to the point where football's changed that much. And I think that has changed Italian football. I'm not sure what you think about that. Uh, no, I completely agree with that. Um, I think I'm, I'm also a bit perplexed as to why um, Italy went for Spalletti. I mean, Spalletti is obviously... Is, um, a fantastic manager in his own right. There is no doubt about that. But you do have the feeling that Spalletti is more of a club manager in the sense that he's someone who may benefit from working with his players week in, week out. Um, thrilled is approaching to them um, and sort of see the team develop from day one. And that's something obviously you can do at international level. And I, you know, I often think that at the international level, you're better off having managers who are better at sort of knockout tournaments, if you like. You know, um, they may be coming across as a bit more pragmatic, perhaps uh, not really inspiring. I mean, Gareth Southgate is a perfect example. You know, he's been crucified for playing uh, dull football, but um, results have largely warranted it. You know, England have made. Um, they woke up semi-finals, they made the Euro final. You could argue that they should have won that and they probably could have won that with a different manager. But, you know, the point here is that it's hard to implement a style of play if you have a group of players that you only see three, four, five times over the course of a year. Whereas, you know, the last was Paletti, as I said, he did such a great job at Napoli and he was so good in his previous job because you could see system it was trying to implement you could see growing under um over the course of the season and i'm not quite sure that he's got uh that he's got that now with Italy. in fact he doesn't because as i said he doesn't 
have the players at his disposal throughout the course of the season. And I'm not quite sure whether Italy are in a position where they can pick and choose uh, the style of football they play um, because it's a situation where you have talented players, but they don't quite match. They don't quite fit. It, it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, it's very difficult, I think, for, for Spalletti to find a formation that works in terms of getting results and in terms of being pleasing on the eye. Yeah, it feels as though they've been pushed into a corner and they've kind of pushed themselves into that corner. It's not just Serie A that's, that's um, you know, gone this way with, you know, giving precedence. I don't want to say that other leagues and other teams have sacrificed their striker role because every everyone needs a good striker, but it does feel as though everyone's trying to copy Pep Guardiola at the moment, if you know what I mean. And I think Antonio Conte was the only other real choice for the FIGC to to bring in as a coach. So perhaps there's a dearth of Italian coaches. We know how good they are because they do dominate the coaching scene, but it's it's a matter of who can you bring in to lead your starting 11 for a nation that is the defending Euro champion. And Roberto Mancini came in, did a great job, and he had so much work to do at the beginning. Um, Euro 2020, I think luckily it didn't happen in 2020 because I, I don't think Italy would have won it in that year, particular calendar year. They went on to to find form in the next season and they, with a delayed 12-month period, they were able to bring in players on the back of really, really uh, good contributions, uh, goal-scoring contributions in particular. Berardi and Insigne coming off some of their best seasons going in there and uh, they had that squad impact with Immobile the focus obviously wasn't on Immobile. He was part, he was a really important part of Mancini's uh, transitional play, but it was more about his intelligence off the ball more than his IQ on the ball. So I think Spalletti with Scamacca might have a chance to reinvigorate that forward line, try and bring it back to what they used to play sort of 20, 30 years ago. And I know it's not just a matter of scrapping modern day contemporary football methods to go back and you sort of relive the past of the glory days like Al Bundy with his hands down his pants but it's it he might play the 4-3-3 like he did with Napoli we've already seen him do that he started Scamacca against England he got a goal that's his first goal at international level he's got five already this season uh, in Serie A and the only other choice is uh, besides Raspadori who's very versatile who I'd prefer to see come out uh, from the either play behind Scamacca in a 4-2 3-1 or go out to the left and play that role that sometimes he did when Quadra wasn't available at Napoli. So I'd prefer that or the only other choice, Dan, is Moise Keane from uh, Juventus who I've just done some stats as I'm writing this article on Scamacca. I'm still in the middle of it. Keane in the last 22 Serie A games has not scored a goal. Yeah, that tells you that, that tells the whole story, doesn't it? Um, then it's it's, it's a strange state of affairs that, as I said, Italy seem to be caught in a weird in a weird dynamic where they are nowhere near as solid defensively as they used to be, but they can't they can't score goals or they they can't create enough chances either. And when they do, you don't have anyone reliable enough to put them away. I do tell you though, um, one thing that Italy have got going for them is history. 
because a current betting scandal could provide exactly what they need. Because, you know, back in, in the 80s with the Totoneros um, betting scandal, then Paolo Rossi came back and uh, cleaned his reputation and became a national leader when Italy won the World Cup. In 2006, we all know what happened with the Calciopoli scandal and Italy again arose like the proverbial feelings from, from the ashes to win the World Cup. So, you know, perhaps the, um, the kids' success um, in the Euros is not Palletic um, Statics, but the Italian justice system. Yeah, maybe it has to be a Juventus scandal. And uh, I guess we do have that with Fajoli involved, so you never know. And it could be third time lucky. Uh, look, Spalletti could start Moise Keane centrally in place of Scamacca. But I think I also looked at uh, Keane's last few goals. And besides a double against Lazio, all the goals are against teams like Spezia, Verona. So it it's, doesn't look good. I do think Keane is an improved player this season. That's for sure. He looks good in Allegri's Allegri ball. Let's all talk about that. No, let's not. Let's not bore our listeners, but he looks okay in that Juventus 11. He's keeping the likes of Lavic out of the side. Um, there were some other disturbing stats in terms of Italian strikers uh, and how they've diminished. Their, their role has diminished uh, over the, the last couple of decades uh, with while well, Italy fails to nurture other nations, continue to churn out world-class sensations. According to statistics provided by Transfermarkt, just 26 of 95 Serie A goals, that's 20, just under 25%, have been scored by Italian strikers in 2023-24 with over three quarters netted by foreign talents. Now, it's not something that should be surprising to Serie A followers and football fans in general because a lot of leagues are like that, you, especially in Europe where you have so many foreigners coming into the leagues and it's more than likely that if you have 70% foreigners in the league that... 70% of the strikers are going to be foreigners and therefore those goals will be scored by people from other nations, not necessarily Englishmen in the Premier League or Italians in Serie A. However, last season, there were four Italians amongst Serie A's top 20 goal scorers, the youngest being 31-year-old Manolo Gabbiadini Dan. Of the 222 goals shared between those 20 strikers, and I'm talking about strikers like Centravanti here, Italians scored only 33 of those 224, uh, 222 goals. That's 14.9%. And Ciro Immobile's 12-goal tally was the highest. Now, he's 33, turning 34. It's no wonder that Genoa turned to Matteo Retighi during the transfer window. It cost $13 million or so. And since Luca Toni's 31 goals in 2005-2006... In the Serie A season back then, at the age of 28, the last Italians to score 20 goals or more in a Serie A season, other than Immobile, are these two players, Dan. Andrea Bellotti in 2016-17 and Alessandro Matri in 2010-11. Absolutely horrible. Yeah, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't make for a good reading, does it? Um, I suppose, you know, the flip side of that is that Italy always seem to find a way at international tournaments. Um, you wouldn't bet against them, um, you know, upsetting the apple cart again if they were to reach um, the Euros, which it will do because they've got enough quality yeah. across the park. Um, but certainly you wouldn't, at the moment, you wouldn't, you know, when you look at teams across Europe, you wouldn't put them in the very, the very elite. Um, like, you know, you wouldn't. Then again, I don't think that it, the elite level and 
is as clear cut as it used to be because you know you have team you no, have it's teams not. it's absolutely not and to you know some teams flatter to see other teams steamroll um their opponents and qualify this but um, always come on stop so it's difficult and you know go back to the stats you just mentioned i think there is a combination of a lack of um generational lack of um of distance. Um, or the likes of Immobile and um, you know players who may be coming towards the end of their career and if, when you combine that with the fact that um, some players just aren't given a given a chance and players also I don't think benefit from having playing clubs that change managers so regularly that um, it's, it's hard for them to be given a consistent on the team and if they are given a consistent on the team then they may Asked different tasks, that is very difficult. And yeah. um, uh, you know, I think that's one of the main issues for Spalletti because he has to basically make work with what he's got, and there is no guarantee that he's going to find the you know the magic formula. If there is indeed a magic formula within you know a couple of qualifying games, he'll need more time. I think Spalletti again has been given to play uh, and. I think he's played it okay for now, but um, yeah, you can't really say that Italy have been as convincing as you would have imagined that a defending champion, the European defending champions would be. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure if it's an indictment on Serie A or the Italian national team itself or the youth setup, but uh, you make some very interesting points. I'll, I'll make a couple more stats here. I'll put them out in the open. When Italy won the 2006 world title, 14 of the top 20 strikers in Serie A were Italians. That's 70%. They amassed 204 of 307 goals in the 2005-06 season. That was uh, just under 60, just over 66%. Uh, over the past 40 years, and I've just gone back in 20-year increments here, Serie A boasted 16 Italians amongst the top 20 back in 1982-83, decreased to 13 by 2002-2003, and it tapered off severely to only four in 2022-23. And the youngest of those four strikers was Gabbiadini, who's since moved on to, I think he's in Turkey now. Has he gone to Turkey? Uh, but he, he's, been, he's off, and uh, the international decline other than in 2006, an anomalous year where Lippi extracted 12 goals from 10 different scorers. The Azzurri had Schilacci, six goals in Italia 90, Baggio, five at USA 94, Vieri, five at 98 in uh, France. But since the turn of the century, another disheartening downward trend shows that Filippo Inzaghi's four goals at Euro 2000, apart from that one, it's only Cassano and Balotelli who scored three at an international tournament, that's Euro 2004, 2012. And no other striker has scored more than twice at an international tournament. And that includes Euro 2020. Uh, so the disturbing issue that remains is in plain sight, Dan. And I don't know if this is Serie A and Italian football following, you know, keeping up with the Joneses here. Sorry to bring up, it's not Vinnie Jones I'm talking about. It's just the English Premier League. They went that way with the foreign talent being brought in. I guess everyone did eventually. But it definitely benefited England more than it did Italy and, and perhaps even Spain. Uh, although the Spanish have been great in the last 15 years, especially in international tournaments. So maybe that debunks my theory. But, you know, there are no promising strikers coming through apart from Scamacca. 
I'm talking in terms of prolific goal scorers, and Skamaka's not even that prolific. I think his best season is 16 goals. But Lorenzo Colombo, uh, there, there's no, there's no uh, striker other than Moise Keane who hasn't scored in 22 games at a top three club, such as Juventus, Inter or Milan. Colombo left Milan, he went to Monza. Pinamonti left for Sassuolo from Inter, and Sebastiano Esposito is playing for second division side Sampdoria. That's his sixth different loan spell from Inter. So they're getting rid of their young Italians, sending them off. And I guess it's always good to send them off so they get some experience. But we want them at the top level if they're going to you know, have an impact in international tournaments. And perhaps that's why it's not happening. We're, we're going for the likes of uh, Vlaovic at Juventus. Uh, I'm, you know, there's nothing wrong with bringing in foreign talent. I, I will just reiterate that Osimhen's been f- you know, fabulous for Napoli. And they've won a Scudetto because of him. And, uh, but it, it's a case where even our young foreigners are leaving Serie A. You look at Hoyland to your mob in Manchester there. So I'm not, I'm not sure what your thoughts on that are. I think there might be a lack of trust in young players at certain clubs. Um, and the fact that um, there is so much pressure as well putting on these young players. Um, you know, um, not just in Italy, but in the Premier League. You see, you see regularly, um, you know, from such a young age, players who are maybe incredibly talented perform well, but then are expected to perform. And I don't think that necessarily contributes to their development. Um, and that is also the, I think, the financial aspect of it, because you look at the likes of Atalanta, for example, and uh, Sassuolo to a lesser extent, they've done so well with, you know, bringing in uh, very young players from, um, for want of a better word, um, smaller leagues. They develop them and then they sell them off for a profit. And, you know, we can debate all day about whether that's something that clubs should be doing or not, as opposed to focusing on homegrown talent. But ultimately, buying a player for £2 million and developing into a striker like Hoyland and then selling him off for £73 million, million pounds is incredibly, yeah, it's incredibly good business. And um, It's about cash. That's it. Well, I think I think Atalanta got Hoyland from Sturm Graz for, yeah. I think it was somewhere like £3 million, and then they've sold him. Of course, they have to pay the Austrian club off a percentage of, of the money, but how much was it in the end, Dan, that he went to Manchester United for? It was seventy-three million pounds, and it's an incredible. I mean, it's incredible business for for a club the size of Atalanta, and an incredible opportunity for Ireland. But at the same time, it comes with uh, enormous pressure. And you know, you could you could argue that um, some Italian clubs perhaps are aware of the fact that they can't compete financially with the Premier League. I mean, nobody can, and they are becoming, I would say, an intermediate step. In this, from a financial standpoint, they are not exactly doing what Porto and Benfica do so well in Portugal. Um, but they are sort of in between. They are neither churning out players just to you know sell them off for big profits, but likewise they know that they can't they can't compete financially with them uh, with the Premier League. So they may as well um, you know make um, make the, make the most of make the most of it and sell the young players off. And that obviously. As we discussed earlier, that does have um, an on effect um, on young Italian players coming through and on their chances for the national team because their chances at club level are limited for whatever reason, um, and and that does that leads to you know the likes of 
you know, as you said, the last was Kamaka, who has scored 16 goals in his most prolific season, now being anointed as the next Christian Vieri, which, you know, with all due respect to him, he clearly is not. Tenuous. But uh, what did you think of Skamaka's stint for West Ham? He was okay in the Conference League, uh, but uh, Premier League, I know he's injured a lot, but overall, what was the feeling? Yeah, I mean, West Ham are, um, are a club in a, in a very, a very, very weird situation at the moment, obviously. There is a school of thought that David Moyes would have probably uh, been fired last season. I did not won the Europa League. They started the Europa Conference League. That obviously changed the club's plan because it was their first trophy in over 40 years. And you can, people can dismiss the, the Conference League as much as they like, but it is a European trophy after all. And um, West Ham are just um, are a club that are caught in a, in a weird, weird dynamic of having a lot of money to spend by virtue of being in the Premier League, but they cannot compete with the big Premier League clubs, definitely not with the top six or top seven. Uh, but they still have enough financial strength pretty much pick and choose whoever they want to buy from Europe. Hence why they signed Lucas Paqueta, who's been terrific signing for them. And there has been a lot of um, a lot of sort of disagreements between the way Moyes wants to take the club forward. He wants more proven British players as opposed to the sporting director that was appointed at the start of the season. He's more of a of a kind of a, you know, a more progressive, if you like, of the figure. He wants the international flavour. Yeah, and he wants players that may not necessarily be already established, but that, um, um, you know, have great potential based on the stats, and why he's been looking at players from the Bundesliga, that's why he's been looking at players from, you know, um, other republics. And Skamaka is, even though he was signed before the sporting director was appointed, is an element of that. It's a kind of like emblematic of a club that lacks the direction. The club wants to move in a certain wants to move forward. Moyes is not perhaps the right the right man to move a club forward. Um, and ultimately, I don't think that Skamaka, um, you know, I don't think he he's he benefited at all from moving to the Premier League. Uh, it was just a case probably the wrong club um, at the wrong time for him. Yeah. Do you think West Ham would be the equivalent of the English Sassuolo? Maybe he just went from one Sassuolo to another because you mentioned that they're sort of one of those clubs that aspires to stay there or thereabouts. They invest a little bit of money. They, they've got enough money to, to be competitive, but not quite competitive enough for the top six. And Sassuolo are one of those clubs in Italy. So 16 goals that Sassuolo moved to the, to the Premier League to play with West Ham. I think it was 36 million euros that they sold him for. It's quite a figure, and you're right. Sassuolo and Atalanta are those clubs that do that, and it's interesting that he's gone from Sassuolo back to Atalanta, who is kind of like a, um, a Sassuolo on steroids in terms of spending a little bit more money. And uh, the academy at Atalanta is probably second to none in Italy. So it's it's one of those sides that do like to churn out some some big money sales. Uh, and develop players and Skamaka's at that age I think he's 24 now turning 25 and it's the next step so he's he's had a really good start to the season he hasn't suffered any injury yet touch wood and he's only really got Moise Keane as competition for the national team apart from Matteo Retegi of course who has been injured for I think five of the last six Genoa games so he wasn't included in the squad 
Giacomo Raspadori is the other option. He scored three for Napoli in Serie A and is the only other viable alternative. That's all Spalletti has to work with. And North Macedonia, not exactly the most favourable opponent. Might not sound like much on paper, but the 1-0 win in Palermo to prevent Italy from getting to the World Cup and then the 1-1 draw in Skopje back in September. What a free kick by Bardi in that game as well. Just picked out the top corner. Uh, you have to clap your hands and applaud at that goal. Um, Immobile scored in that game. He's not in this squad uh, despite scoring his 200th goal for Lazio last week in the Champions League. I don't know, Dan. It's, uh, it's a matter of perhaps Italy have to go back to square one if they can't find a strike. If Skamaka doesn't work out, it depends who's next. I've got uh, a couple of names. Lorenzo Luca is another tall kind of prodigy. He's over two meters tall. He still hasn't really found his feet at the top level. He's got a couple of goals for Udinese. And they're another club like Sassuolo and Atalanta. Do you think where they try and get players on the cheap and sell them off? Oh, completely. And good luck to them. I think um, we are at a point now where it's if you were, if you're a club outside the Premier League, you would be remiss not to exploit the Premier League's um, financial trend to your advantage because... And they did, did that with Beto, didn't they? They sold him to Everton. Yeah, exactly. You look at the likes of... Um, um, you, know, you look at the likes of Beto, you look at the... Um, I mean, of course, we've spoken about Skamaka. Um, it's... It's a very, very... It's, you know, it's a, I suppose what you would describe as a seller's market in, in real estate terms. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, Premier League clubs have got so much money, and there are there is this perception thing as well, bizarrely in the Premier League that even though we are we are way part. I mean, there is this perception I think in England where there is still the feeling about you know getting a sign from a foreign league as some kind of mystique and is automatically considered to be better than what we can find domestically, which is again very bizarre because it, just just as is the case in Italy, um, the majority of um, the majority of players uh, tend to be from, tend to be foreigners these days. But um, so I don't know, I don't quite know how they can still be considered exotic. You know, we are not exactly talking about Dennis Burke and joining Arsenal in, in the nineties or Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, but yeah, to go back to your question, Udinese have done a superb bit of business by selling Beto and um, just as Atalanta have done by selling Hoyland. Yeah, I mean, tremendous business. Uh, you've got Lorenzo Luca now that he's come across. I think he was on loan with Ajax, got about two or three goals. Actually, I think he scored about half a dozen in all competitions for Ajax last season. I think they need him back this year because they're sh- having a shocking year. Uh, I think they're second or third last Ajax in the Eredivisie. But uh, the, uh, there's not too many other names, Dan. There's, people are clutching at straws here. There's a 15-year-old that plays for Milan in the Primavera under-19s and tenuously hailed as the future of Italian football. I'm sure he's a great player. This is Francesco Camarda. But am I right to bring in a 15-year-old to this conversation? I'd love to see him played by Milan at some point, maybe in the Coppa Italia. But can we really bank on those uh, it sounds to me like like being from born in australia and there are such a gap between that golden generation of harry kuehl mark viduka to the next lot or your tim cahills and so now we talk about uh, this 16 17 year old prodigy that might be the next socceroo 
great striker. Iran Kunda, for example. And he was just signed for Bayern Munich, just for those of you who want to know. But clutching Italy is a different standard. Four-time world champion. Should be we should we be talking about Kamada, who's 15 years old? Absolutely not. And also, as you know, going back to what I was, what I was saying earlier, the pressure that you know you you put on on the shoulders of someone who's still so young, it's um, it's remarkable. And you know, f- for every Jude Bellingham who looks like he has the world world his feet, even though you know he's still so young, you have players who then just end up. You know, never living up to it for for whatever reasons. I mean, you could you could argue that you know Cassano could have become so much better than than what he did. But again, um, it was under such enormous pressure from you know when it was seventeen, eighteen. Um, yeah, the next budget exactly. And um, you know, it's I don't think it's fair to the players to be to be under some, some, such enormous pressure, particularly in these days. Where, you know, when you have social media. Um, and um, and everyone has an opinion on everything, and um, they are subjected so much, you know, um, pressure from from the fans, pressure from the media, and abuse at times, unfortunately, from from the fans as well. Um, you know, it is um, it is as said bizarre that a fifteen year old could even be in a conversation um, at at this moment in time. I think his name being thrown into the mix is perhaps a, re- a reaction of what you're talking about with the social media. People are like, well, what about this guy? Let's get him. He scored 3,000 goals for the under-13s. Let's let's try him out. Hopefully he's good in three years. Might be good for the 2026 World Cup at the age of 17 and be you know, what Maradona was in 78, that kind of thing. But a 15-year-old, 16-year-old on social media, everything goes great while everything's going well for you. But the issue is, like you said, the pressure comes as soon as something goes wrong. And as Joe Rogan says, don't read the comments because when teenagers do start reading comments, that's when the depression kicks in, the mental health issues, and it can all go downhill from there and it can be a a long way back. You mentioned Jude Bellingham. The closest thing to an Italian Jude Bellingham at this point in history is probably Cesare Casade, who plays in the second division in England. So there's a long way to go. There's a big difference between what England have in that position behind the striker and what Italy do. Um, I know that Italy prefer to play with a mezzale. They've got Fratesi, who's quite a good player. He's a former Sassuolo player as well. Now with Inter, and he's joined by Barella, who's also with Inter, former Cagliari mezzala. So I guess there is that route from smaller clubs to a bigger club that Italians are finding, but it's in the midfield, not up forward. Again, I think it goes back to, obviously, a, a sort of a tactical um, rebalancing, if you like. Um, you know, not having a striker, or rather, not having a particularly prolific striker, means that you've got to spread the, the goals burden um, across the park um, a little more evenly than you normally would. And I think that's what Italy were brilliant at on the machine. You know, you had goals uh, coming from a lot of different players, and um, that is um, is certainly a way of going about it. But I don't know whether that's going to be enough um, for them to be to be one of the challengers um, next summer if they do make it, which I think they will make it. Um, but when you look at the likes of England at the minute or France or um, 
um, even Spain, even though they have not been particularly impressive themselves, um, Italy certainly looked, um, you know, not not quite there for the moment. Yeah, they're not quite there. And I guess Spain are one of those sides that do bring in younger players when they're in good enough form. Uh, we've seen it with Yamal coming through. He's only 16 with Barcelona. I think he's already had a cap with the Spanish national team. Now Barcelona are bringing through two or three others. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his surname, but it's Marc Guyu or Guyu. Uh, he scored a goal on debut uh, coming off the bench, I'm pretty sure. So they have a lot of young talent coming through. They're prepared to play them in the big teams. Barcelona or Real Madrid even have a lot of youngsters come in uh, more than the, the likes of uh, Milan, Juventus or Inter, that's for sure. Francesco Camada, that 15-year-old, that's the name being thrown around in the meantime. Lorenzo Luca is the other hope. Some players, some people, I should say, want the reset button hit and a number 10 brought back in. Who's coming through? Simone Pafundi of, um, of Udinese is 17. He's had one Italy cap under Mancini, but I think he, that was a token cap where it showed that he was willing to bring in younger players. Maybe that's an example to... Serie A, Serie A clubs they sh- should follow that. Wilfred Yonto is playing second division football in England with Leeds. He'll play against Casadei at some point, probably already has. Tommaso Baldanzi, injured at the moment, is the Empoli number 10. Bruno Zappelli, who plays in Argentina, has an Italian passport. This is the clutching of straws, Dan, that I'm talking about, where we're looking now at Argentina because they have never had a dip in attacking form. The current world champion... Bruno Zappelli happens to have an Italian passport, just like Matteo Retighi, who was an unknown, even in Argentina, really, playing for Tigre. And all of a sudden, he's thrown into the Italian national team and given a chance. And as I said, Cesare Casadei, the closest thing to an Italian Jude Bellingham. And out of all that lot of names, it's only Baldanzi that plays top flight football regularly. And that, that's a big issue. So the problem in Italy's front line are symptoms of that disease that has eaten away from the foundations of Calcio and up. And I think the f- change has to be forthcoming at club level so that Spalletti can, can, uh, can go ahead and, and try and get Italy, not just for the Euro 2024, obviously that is an immediate issue, but looking at 2026 and beyond, there ha- has to be some level of change, a higher level for Italian strikers to live up to because now you can score five to 10 goals in the Italian league and be considered for uh, the national team. Go back... 20, 30 years, and look at the greats that missed out. Di Canio missed out. Hubner, players of that caliber that were scoring, you know, upwards of 15 goals regularly for consecutive seasons, and they were never in the mix. That's the caliber that Italy had. And going back to that 2006 season, 14 of the top 20 strikers in Italy, or 14 of the top 20 goal scorers in Italy were, were Italians in Serie A. So big dip in form, and perhaps that's the way Football has gone with everyone trying to follow Pep Guardiola. And I guess that's the, the recipes for success now. But he plays a, a different brand of football. Uh, I guess the closest thing would be to bring Roberto De Zerbi in and coach the Italian side and, and try and get them to play that, that caliber of football. But you also need all the, all the best players in the world at the same time, don't you, Dan? And I know that you don't really fancy me talking much about Manchester City as a United fan. But still, that seems to be where football's going. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the, the financial inequality, um, the trust Europe. Um, and, you know, there is, there is not an, I mean, City are um, 
miles have been miles ahead of us in Europe for a for a long time now. And um, um you know, we may be having a title race on our hands this season. It's probably still too early to say that because it wouldn't be surprising to see sitting on a fifteen game winning January. Um, the thing I think that is significant about City is how they um, they do something that, when you think about it, it is actually not too dissimilar to what we're discussing about redistributing the gold talent. Of course, Erling Haaland is an absolute machine, but you know Guardiola rarely settles on um, on a, on a throne three. I mean, if, if you take out Haaland, Grealish, and Doku, you know they are in and out of the team and the Fine same as well. yeah and you know Foden exactly and um, I mean that goes back to having so many high quality options at the same time um, but yeah I mean look international football um, is a completely different fish um, could Guardiola repeat it at international level I'm not sure not sure about that no I don't I don't think I don't think he would no um, I mean it would be they'll get in, you know, his teams to play the way he wants, but uh, I don't think he will be able to replicate. I mean, the kind of success he achieved is, you know, probably impossible to match. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think, going back about Spalletti needing to work with this week in, week out, that's why I don't think the Guardiola will fancy uh, taking over the national team because he's so obsessed with drilling into his players, his, you know, his football philosophy on a, on a daily basis. I don't think he will fancy taking over a national team where you know you see your players what, five, six times a year. Uh, there just will not be enough time for him to sort of shape them, to, to form them into what he wants them to be. Yeah. Uh, you've seen his... His ability to to win games without the right players in a for his methods, I think Stones has been so crucial to to City. Not that Stones is the greatest player ever, but he plays that role where he comes out of the central defence to fill in at, at midfield as they go to that box kind of midfield. But you know, even with Spalletti with Napoli, he was found out, and I think Guardiola is getting found out on a regular basis. But it's his um, preparedness moving forward where he knows that. Other coaches are going to adapt to his, uh, you know, his game plan right now, and he has to know what to do in the in the chess game. You know, three moves in advance, and and that's where Guardiola can excel. But he can only excel with bringing in an Erling Haaland or having Bernardo Silva consistently fit and playing. So, yeah, at international level, you don't just get to buy players that you want to bring in. You are stuck with what you've got. Spalletti's got that issue now. We'll leave it there for this episode. We thank Dan Cancian for joining from the Daily Mail, one of the sports reporters there. You can find him on Twitter at Dan underscore Cancian. That's C-A-N-C-I-A-N. You can see all his good work there. Sports reporter that covers many different sports, including football, especially football. We'll have him back for part two where we discuss Napoli. We're also going to discuss uh, how some of the former Serie A players and Italian coaches are doing abroad in England and if you're new to Lego Football you can follow us at Lego Football on Twitter we're also on YouTube and on Facebook I'm David Freeney I'm at David Freeney underscore thanks for joining and we'll see you next time this is Lego Football